Good morning, church. So good to be with you celebrating Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the greatest event in history. Here we are all together, gathered in all our different places and yet together. Nothing can stop the church growing and the church advancing. As we talk about the resurrection today, I want to focus on three stories, three times when Jesus, the resurrected Christ, interacted with people and how he transformed their lives. And I am trusting that as we talk about this, you will find him transforming your life, that you will find yourself in one of these stories or more than one of these stories. And Jesus will do for you in his resurrection what he did for them. So Father, I pray for each person as we embark on this teaching, Lord God, that you would you would touch every person, every person watching this video. Lord, I ask that you would come and fill them. Lord God, I ask for grace upon myself to preach your word your way. So we have some fascinating stories. After Jesus was resurrected, he interacted with a number of people. I'm choosing three of them. I want to talk about Peter and how he interacted with Peter. I want to talk about Thomas and how he interacted with Thomas. And I want to talk about a woman you may not know so well by the name of Mary Magdalene that he interacted with. Let's start with Peter. So many of you know his story. And he was a magnificent leader of the church in the book of Acts. But he had some stumbles along the way. And you will remember that story of how he, at the crucial time when Jesus was undergoing his trial, he denied Jesus three times. You remember the story how he was approached by a serving girl and then by another person and Three times he denied Jesus Christ. Jesus had predicted that he would do this. He had denied it vehemently, but Jesus had said, yes, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And when the rooster crows, crowed after he had denied Jesus those three times, the Bible says in three out of the four accounts how he wept bitterly. Clearly, he was so deeply affected by what he'd done. And clearly, he realized how much he had failed his Lord and his Christ. The one who had done so much for him, the one who had changed his life and changed the world. He, in the time of need, had denied him. So when Jesus, after his death and resurrection, interacts with, Jesus, interacts with Peter, rather, should I say, we read about it in John 20, and I want to go to that story, and I want to show you how Jesus reverses Peter's failure. You know now, we have all failed at times. There's not a person who's watching this podcast or watching this video who doesn't know that at some stage they failed. You know, there may have been times in your marriage where you were less of the spouse that you wanted to be, that you had made some commitments and maybe you didn't live up to them. Maybe as a parent, you haven't done that. Maybe even as a friend, you have denied someone or worse, you have behaved in a way that has damaged the relationship. Perhaps in your work, you have not lived up to all your expectations of yourself, let alone what others have had of you from time to time. All of us have experienced times of failure. But the beauty of what you're about to hear is that the resurrected Christ didn't leave Peter in his failure. There's no condemnation. There's no judgment. But Jesus interacts with him in a way that brings him back, restores him, and allows him to go on to be the great leader that he was and that we see in the book of Acts. So the story is found in John 21 from verse 15, and we'll read it together. When they had finished breakfast, to let you know, Jesus had appeared to Peter. Peter, after Jesus' death, had in desperation kind of gone back to fishing. 
Uh, he was originally a fisherman and Jesus had interacted with them and they had caught that miraculous catch of fish and Jesus had called them to the shore and they went to the shore and he had cooked breakfast for them. And we catch the story then. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. How wild is it that Peter denied Jesus three times and three times Jesus gave him an opportunity to accept him, to affirm his love for Jesus. It's almost like as many times as Peter had failed, Jesus gave him opportunities to succeed. And I, I propose to you that this is exactly what God is doing in your life in the times of failure. He is walking into your future. He has prepared a future where he is offering you open doors, opportunities to redeem what was lost, to redeem where you failed, to step into a new success that overrides what has happened in the past. This is the nature of our God. He's a redeeming God. His resurrection gives us those second chances, those third chances, those fourth chances, however many chances we need to step again into who we were meant to be, to become the kind of people we had always dreamed of. There is a scripture in 1 John 1 verse 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that. As God is reversing failure in our lives, he says this, if you are open and honest, imagine if, if Peter had, had said, you know what, Jesus, you know I love you because, you know, I've never denied you. And he had kind of just rejected or denied his own failure. And he hadn't come to Jesus with humility saying, you know, Lord, I was wrong. Perhaps you, in your failure, are tempted to just pretend that you didn't really fail or that there was no mess up. But Jesus is calling us to something bigger, to something different. Because in that place of failure is the place where his redemption can work, where his resurrection life can work. The power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is present to redeem those times of failure. As the scripture says in 1 John, that, that as we confess our sins, as we admit our failure, as we are open and honest, God, I didn't live up to what I wanted to be. I didn't do what I thought I would do. I wasn't the kind of person I wanted to be. He says he's faithful to forgive us our sins, but it goes on. It's not just that he forgives us. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I love that. Because it's more than just him forgiving us and saying, okay, let bygones be bygones. He's saying, okay, now I'm going to give you opportunity to have or redo the situation or redo life with my empowering presence. I'm going to, I'm going to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and by implication, give you righteousness. Give you righteousness. Something a famous theologian, but also a famous scientist by the name of Blaise Pascal said, he said this, God is 
none other than the savior of our wretchedness. So we can only know God well by knowing our iniquities. Those who have known God without knowing their wretchedness have not glorified him, but have glorified themselves. There are two kinds of righteousness that we can all possess. Possess, sorry, excuse me. All two kinds of righteousness that we can possess. First of all, we can possess self-righteousness. That's the kind of righteousness that we create for ourselves. It's the kind of righteousness that has to pretend that we've never done anything wrong. It's the kind of righteousness that we all have experienced in other people and it's completely uncomfortable. It's the kind of, kind of person you want to run away from. And perhaps all of us at some stage have been self-righteous people. Then there's another kind of righteousness. And that is the righteousness that God gives us as a gift. It's something we don't deserve. And this is what Jesus came to Peter with. He gave him opportunities and he gave him the power and ability to do this time what he could not do before. And the power of this is that Peter at the end could only say, My Lord and my God, you know everything about me. Here I am, your servant. Let me do your will. He didn't say it right in that scripture, but many times in scripture later on, he said similar things. Peter became, became a humble person realizing that, that his success depended on God's capacity to put righteousness in him. Today, as you have, have perhaps failed in, in different ways, I know none of them. To me, you all look fantastic, but perhaps you know ways you have failed. The resurrected Christ is standing in your life and saying, come, let's walk together. I will open up doors for you to do what you could not do before. I will open up doors for you to behave in ways that are better than you've behaved before. I will, I will put righteousness in you and I'll help you to walk into those right, righteousness. I will give you opportunities to show what I have done in your heart. So he reversed failure in Peter's life. The second person I want to, to excuse me, the second person I want to talk to you about, the second resurrection story that I want to talk about is Peter appearing to Thomas. Now what had happened is that all the disciples after Jesus had died had gathered together in the upper room and there they were afraid of the persecution of the Jews. So they the Bible says they'd locked the door and Jesus appeared to them through that door and interacted with them in remarkable ways. They went out and they told Thomas, because Thomas, I don't know why he wasn't with them. He should have been with them. Perhaps he was out shopping or I don't know, speaking to a girlfriend. I'm not sure. Wherever Thomas was, he wasn't in the upper room at this remarkable experience that they all have. They go out to him and they say, Thomas, guess what we've experienced? Jesus appeared to him. To Jesus appeared to us. Thomas says this, and we'll read from verse 25 in John 20. It says, so the other, excuse me. So the other disciples told Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his sides, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. 
Again, Jesus stepping into Thomas's failure, this time his doubt and unbelief stepping into that. As he had stepped through the walls of the disciples' fear earlier, he now stepped through the locked doors of Thomas's doubt to reveal himself to him. I absolutely love this story. You know, we talked about two kinds of righteousness, but we also have two kinds of doubt. And the two kinds of doubts are this. You get the kind of doubt is that is, you know, I don't really want to believe in Jesus. I don't really want to follow God. I don't want to really be a Christian because I know it's going to impact the way I live. I know it's going to change the way I have to behave. I know it's going to curtail some of the activities I'm involved in and I don't want to do that. So you know what? To kind of mask that feeling of I just don't want to do it. I'm going to express that I, I doubt that God is real. And maybe the person feels really that they doubt God is real. But if you examine the motives behind it, it's really, I just, I just don't want to believe that he's real. I've noticed in my interactions with people that Jesus very seldom interacts in this kind of powerful way with that person. He takes them on another kind of journey of, of examining their lifestyle and seeing that their lifestyle is not really fulfilling them and getting them to a place of belief in another way. But there is another kind of doubt that Jesus does interact with. And that is the kind of Thomas doubt that we see operating here. And this is the kind of, this is the sincere, you know, I want to believe. You know, really, if, if you could show me that Jesus was real, if I could know that this was true, I would be in their boots and all. I, I just love the thought of having a savior like Jesus. But, you know, I'm skeptical. I've grown up with other kinds of beliefs. People have told me things. I've, I've seen things and I'm, I just can't believe. It's just hard for me to believe. And I've noticed with those kind of people, Jesus steps into the room of their doubt. And he does, he does an experience miracle for them. Mark 9 verse 24 says this and Jesus well first of all let me introduce the story is that uh, Jesus well there was there was a father who was who had a son who was just in a terrible way this child was having convulsions and fits throughout his life that would cause him to fall into the fire fall into water have his life in danger so often and the father took his son to the disciples and asked them to heal him they were un able to and so he brings that child to Jesus and says please no one's been able to heal my son and I'm desperate I just need you to do something for him and Jesus has this interaction with him he says and Jesus said to him if you can all things are possible for one who believes immediately the father of the child cried out and said I believe help my unbelief you know I feel like that's where Thomas was it was like you know what I know I should believe. I want to believe. I'm, I, I'm choosing to believe. But gosh, there are these questions inside. There's this, this stuff going inside of my heart. Please help me to believe. What I love about both this father and Thomas is in their place of unbelief. They didn't separate themselves in and isolate themselves. Thomas, even in his unbelief, was hanging around the disciples. He was in the room with them that second time. This father, he was bringing his son to Jesus. He was interacting with the disciples. He was, he, was, he was putting himself in the place where if Jesus was real, he would be able to see it. 
And this is what I want to encourage those of you who are out there who battle with feelings of doubt and you want to believe and you, you would love the thought of Jesus being real. You would love the thought of Jesus interacting with your life and making a difference and giving you a fresh start. You love that idea and you want to believe. I want to encourage you to hang around people who do already believe because that's the place where the experience miracles happen. That is the place where Jesus interacts with you. It's in hanging around these people, in seeing their experiences, in hearing their stories, in being in the community of grace that you suddenly find the capacity to believe. For many of you, it may come quickly, but for some, it comes slowly and it's a slow dawning of reality. Yes, look, I see all this in people's lives. I understand and I see the transformation that they're experiencing and there's a slow dawning of belief in your life. The way it happens, the place it happens is within the community of faith. And so I want to encourage those of you who have battled with doubt, that the way Jesus dispels doubt is that he draws you into a community, he brings you into a place where the miracles and the life are. He brings you into a community of loving, supportive people who are able to undergird you during those times of doubt and where you are able to experience their times of faith. You're ex uh, able to experience how Jesus interacts with them and in so doing, he becomes real to you and you experience him interacting with you. So this is one of the ways that Jesus dispels doubt. And this is how the resurrected Christ engaged with Thomas and will engage with each of you. A scripture in Hebrews 11 says this, which I, it always confounds me. It always just thrills me. Hebrews 3 verse, sorry, Hebrews 11 verse 3, the first part, it says, by faith we understand. What is so unique and beautiful about this is that often we think we need to understand before we can believe. But so often, so often it is our belief that leads us into understanding. And sometimes every one of us just has to take a leap of faith. We just have to choose to believe. We just have to say, you know, God, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to believe that you are true. And it's in believing that the understanding comes. It's in believing that Jesus died for my sins, that I can become a new person, that I can leave the old behind and become a new creation. It's in believing that, that the understanding comes through the experiencing. The third person that I want us to interact with, the third resurrection story that I want to talk about is found in John 20 from verse 15. And it is about Mary Magdalene. She's not a well-known character, but she's quite prominent in the Bible. Magdalene at the end of her name simply means that she came from the town of Magdala, which would have been a fishing town uh, in that area. So Mary Magdalene means the Mary from Magdala. She was clearly a wealthy woman because she is listed as one of the women who's, who's provided for Jesus' ministry out of her private means. Whenever the women who were his disciples, believe it or not, he had, a, he had a collection of women disciples that followed him in the same way as the men did. And amongst these women, whenever they are listed, she is listed first, which indicates that she was quite prominent amongst those women. On the other hand, Women in those days, whether you were prominent amongst the women or not, women were very much looked down on. It is interesting that in Greek philosophy, they thought of women as deformed men. That was kind of the Greek way of looking at gender. 
in the Jewish way, there was, there was, you know, it was better, but still women were, were not considered reliable witnesses. They were not considered equal to the men. They didn't carry the same authority. So being a wo woman in those days certainly meant that there would be an, a significant amount of, I want to call it neglect. In other words, you, you weren't given the opportunities that the men were given. You weren't given the kind of schooling, the kind of um, financial platforms that men were given. You, you didn't get the voice that men got, so your opinions were thought of as less. And indeed, you could, if there was a court case, no one heard what you had to say because you were considered unreliable. It was considered that, why would a woman speak the truth? So we're not going to have her as a witness. So clearly, women, women um, just grew up under this cloud. And I, I want to look at Mary Magdalene as, as a type of person. And of course, she was an individual and there were very many unique things about her. But I want to listen, look at her as the kind of person who maybe has been disadvantaged in life, who has been neglected in some way. There's no indication that she was abused. But perhaps I want to put people who have been abused or just faced very difficult life circumstances. Interestingly enough, she is reported as having seven demons cast out of her. Which is fascinating because anyone who has seven demons is going to, in, going to experience some level of torment and emotional difficulty. So clearly she'd experienced that in her life. So I want to put those people in that category too. If, you, if you've experienced mental torment, emotional issues, emotional disturbances, Mary Magdalene is talking to you. What I love about this is when Jesus was resurrected and his tomb was empty, the disciples had rushed over there. They'd heard the report. Um, the woman had gone to the, the tomb to dress his body and they'd come back and said, no, that's empty. Peter and John had run uh, there and then discovered that it was empty. The women were there as well. Peter and John had left. And interestingly enough, the Bible recounts this particular instance where Mary Magdalene has been to the tomb, found it empty, um, and is now walking away from the tomb. She's by herself in this account in the book of John. And she has this interact interaction with a man who she thinks is the gardener who turns out to be Jesus. From verse 15, it says this, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. In other words, he commissioned her as the first evangelist, the first witness of his resurrection. She went straight from there to the disciples and said, I have seen the Lord, which became the battle cry of Christianity from then on. I have seen the Lord. His resurrection is true. It's real. This means that he has conquered all of sin and death. All of evil has been vanquished. He had, nothing could stop the life that lives in him. And that life that is that resurrection life that pushes aside death, pushes aside sickness, pushes aside um, evil and degradation, pushes aside all those things that have clamored to destroy Christianity, push, I mean, humanity, pushes those things aside and rises up this life that cannot be held back. This resurrection life that is manifested through Jesus Christ is his gift to you and me. 
This was the message that she carried. In one sentence, I have seen the Lord. This very woman who would not have been accepted, who her testimony would not have been accepted in a court of law, became the first witness of Jesus' resurrection. What I love about this also is that if the disciples, if the writers of the Bible had been trying to create fraud, if they had been trying to make up a story, if they'd been trying to kind of write some lies about what had happened, they most certainly would have not written a woman into the story. They would have not made her a witness of the resurrection because they would have known that would have not been acceptable to people. They would have written a much more acceptable story. But here they are just writing it just like it happened. You know, what, it, what is so unique for me is that when Jesus uh, was resurrected, the Bible talks about it in Hebrews, how he presented the sacrifice of his body, the sacrifice that he just offered in the form of himself to his heavenly father and that in heaven and that his sacrifice was accepted to redeem all sin. And so the Bible implies here, it doesn't say it exactly, but it implies he was on the way to present that sacrifice to heaven. And it says, he says to Mary, don't touch me because I'm on my way to my father. I'm on an assignment. Don't waylay me. Don't keep me back. But this is what I love. The Bible again doesn't say it, but I read this into the story. Is that Jesus on his way to do this giant cosmic work couldn't bear to leave Mary crying there weeping, distraught at his death, and he stopped to engage with her. You know, I feel like people who've gone through these very difficult times, I, I feel like I want you to hear this, that Jesus, Jesus, in his great mission, makes you his mission. That he sees you, he understands what you've been through, he is he is caring of what you've experienced and he's stepping out of eternity to meet you. Because in this giant cosmic victory that he won, you are the epitome of what he won. You, you, you are the person that he reached out for. You are the one that he thought of as he hung on the cross. You are the one for whom he died. And I feel like he wants you to know that. As he stopped for Mary, so he's stopping for you. Psalm 68 verse 5 and 6 says this, that God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. In the middle of this great psalm, which is a collection of war cries, Psalm 68 is the war cries of Israel as they went into battle. Here they declare God as a father to the fatherless. They saying this, this is one of our greatest victories is that God sets the lonely in families. This is what marks us. This followers of Yahweh, this is who we follow, the God who defends the defenseless. Psalm 148, 46, sorry, verse 8 says this, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. 
Again, 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 28 says that God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. At your weakest time, at your time of greatest failure, at your time of greatest regret, at your time of greatest doubt, at your time of greatest neglect, God chooses you. And God says, that's the one I want. Because if I want to put it in a nutshell, you are his mission and his mission lives on in you. Just as with Mary, he chose her, he came for her, he reached out to her, and then he gave her a mission. As we experience the living Christ, then we go out and proclaim him to the world. This Jesus Christ who was crucified lives again and he lives in me and he can live in you. And the life, the resurrection life that I've experienced in him, you can experience in him too. In conclusion, the resurrected Christ is reversing our failure, dispelling our doubts and negating our neglect. We are his mission and his mission lives on in us. Lord Jesus, I want to pray for everyone who is watching this video. Lord God, I ask that your grace would come upon them, Lord God. That, Father God, those who are doubting, Lord God, would, would find the capacity to come in the, to the community of grace and find the truth of who you are. Lord God, I pray for those who are neglected, abused, alone, Lord God, that they would reach out to you and find you, Lord God. Father God, I, I pray for those who have failed, Lord God, in some way and are living with the regret of that, that they would reach out to you and find the redemption that you offer as you reverse that failure. Lord God, thank you that you are the resurrected Christ and you are interacting with us and your resurrection makes a difference for us. God bless you. Amen.